0: A sacrament is a drama that we don't just sit in the audience and observe the drama and say, ah, oh, this is very interesting, but we act out the drama. We are participants in the drama itself. And I think in this sense, uh, it's very profound that the sacraments are tactile, right? That they're audiovisual, Um so that in this drama, we're touching the gospel sign, we're feeling the gospel sign, And, in that sense, it tells us something quite profound about the gospel. Okay, so that's the first thing. It's a sign. But it's even deeper than just a sign. It's also a seal. So, Romans 4.11. Chelsea, can I have you read that?
1: Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith.
0: Yes. So, you guys are saying, well, why are we talking about circumcision? Well, we'll talk about this much later on. But circumcision is uh, one of the Old Testament sacraments, right? Uh, The other one being Passover. And... Paul tells us that the circumcision was a sign, and it tells us it's a seal. So it's a gospel seal. Okay. So what's a seal? Well, where do you find seals? You. So this is not as relevant for us in the modern world as much because in the ancient world it, it was much more prevalent. But when you receive a letter, there will be a seal on the letter, or you do get it. If you've received a diploma, right? So your diploma looks like this, right? And there's writing, blah blah blah, and then there's this thing right there. What would that be? That's the seal, right? What does the seal do? Is it just shiny and pretty? What does the seal do for you? It's certification. Yes, it gives you assurance. So if if you receive uh, the diploma, Kinsman Handler, where's where's all the handles? Other. If someone gave you a a certificate and it had no seal, you would feel, I don't know if this thing is real. Maybe I shouldn't have gone to the storefront college, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the seal gives you this assurance. It gives you this authentication that it's real, right? So also in the ancient world, when you receive a letter, who knows where this letter came from, but the seal lets you know, right? And so... Um, In that sense, the sacraments are not just a sign telling you something cognitively. It's sealing something to you, to your heart. So the analogy I would use is, um, a parent says, I love you. So you receive that information, oh, my parent loves me. But then the parent goes one step further, and the parent picks you up and hugs you. That hug is the seal of your parent's love. Now, did you gain any new information in the hug? No. It tells you the same thing as the words, but do you feel the love of your parent on a deeper, more profound level? Yes. So that's what the sacraments are doing to you. God is saying, I will surely save you. I love you. I will never leave you. And he's picking you up and he's hugging you through the sacraments. He's sealing this gospel truth in your heart and in your mind. Does that make sense? I think this is why um, the sacraments are so important. This is why we're told to observe and partake of the sacraments, okay? So, because it's a seal, therefore, sacraments confer grace. Okay? So, we experience the love of God. We experience the grace of God through the sacraments um but oh oh oh, so oh let me let me just um go back to the seal right so it's a seal in particular because of the power of ritual (coughs) here i'm gonna i seem to be repeating myself it's okay but the sacraments are rites they're rituals right So that Christianity is not this cognitive religion where you just sit down. It's not a classroom setting. It's not just this, in other words, right? As much as we enjoy this. But it's rituals, and rituals seal truth. So, for example, marriage ceremony, right? Now, is it conceivable that a married couple can just say, hey, let's get married, right? So they're in a room. Hey, let's get married. Okay. Will you marry me? Yes. Will you marry me? Yes. We're married. (laughs) So be it. Is that sufficient? Well, you can say yes. You have made your pledges. You made your vows. But there's, the ceremony is missing. What I love to observe in weddings is when either the groom or the bride, I love it especially when the groom breaks down during the vows, emotion overwhelms them. Even though they've seen this happen before, even though they've rehearsed these vows, in that moment, in the ritual, they break down. They start to weep. Why? It's the power of the ritual. It's the sealing aspect of that ritual, right? So that because you go through a marriage ceremony, it impresses it on you, all the more the reality, right? Does that make sense? Alright, so, I'm repeating myself now. So, okay, so, sacraments confer grace, and this grace, is it automatic? And the answer is no. Um, In the Roman Catholic Church, and here we're going to interact, because a lot of what Um, the Protestants broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, (coughs) and a big part of that break was on the sacraments, right? And the Roman Catholic Church believes in ex opere Mm operato.
1: Operato.
0: Okay. Everything is in Latin in the Roman Catholic Church, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um... Ex opera operata simply means in the doing of it, it is done. In the working of it, it, is, it, is, it happens. So what that means is that simply by you being baptized, you're saved. Simply in partaking of the sacraments, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, you receive the benefits of that wow. sacrament. Wow. It happens automatically. And the Protestant Reformation said no. Um, it doesn't happen automatically. You have to receive it by faith. So you receive by faith. This is very important, and it relates to um, infant baptism because we're going to talk about this th- uh, three classes or two classes from now. People say, "Why are we baptizing babies when they don't have faith?" Right? And I mean, no, no. Sorry, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But why why should we baptize babies when we don't know whether they're saved or not? Right? How do we know that they're, does that mean they're saved, right? Does, does that mean automatically babies are saved? And the answer is no. For baptism to be effective, it must be received by faith. In the case of, of infants being baptized, that faith happens later in life. So there's a delay between the ritual and the actual receiving of it through faith. We'll talk about that later. But in that sense, because faith is necessary, if you receive a sacrament without faith, it becomes meaningless and it becomes useless to you. So that it's like the sun beating down on blind eyes. You can't see the sun. The sun is there, but it doesn't do anything for you. Does that make sense? I guess if we had to use an analogy, it's like you're at the wedding ceremony, but you've been drugged and you're being married against your will, right? So you're going through this ceremony, but it, it doesn't do anything to you, right? And so sacraments are therefore accompanied by... keep her a hand is accompanied by the Holy Spirit, who opens eyes and hearts. All right. So the other thing, this is very important, is that sacraments is not um, us to God; it's God to us. Let me let me explain this. Okay. So, so often we think this is how <laughs> sacraments work, right? We think that the sacraments is our pledge of faith to God, right? And so I hear this all the time. People say to me, I'm not ready to be baptized because I feel like my faith isn't there enough. It isn't strong enough. So that I can't, so that they think of baptism as this flag that you're waving. I believe, right? It's this thing that you give to God. And I don't want to give this thing to God unless my faith is sufficiently strong or it's sufficiently pure or it's sufficiently solid. I can't give God this half faith, so I'm not ready to be baptized. Or I hear people say all the time, I, um, I'm not ready to take the supper until I'm more consistent in my Christian life. I, I need to be reading the Bible more. I need to be praying more often. And then I can take the supper because the supper is me telling God, this is how much I believe in you. This is not the way to think of the sacraments. The so sacraments is God's telling us, I love you, I will surely save you. It's God's declaration of grace to you. And therefore, it doesn't depend on you. And if you think about the meaning and the, the imagery of the sacraments, right? there's the baptism, right, which is the waters washing over you. There's the supper, Jesus' broken body and shed blood. These are things that God is doing to you rather than you doing it to God. Does that make sense? And again, this relates to the issue of infant baptism. Um, because we say, how can bat- uh, babies be baptized without faith? Baptism is not a sign of faith. Right? We uh, Baptism is a sign of God's grace that you receive by faith. Does that make sense? Again, I'm sort of conceptually setting things up for two classes from now, but... It's important to understand these things. All right, before we move on to the next point, anything, any questions so far? (laughs) All right, let's move on. Um, Word and sacrament always go together. So the sacraments are visible, tangible signs and seals of the Word. And so the sacraments basically communicate the same message as the Word, the Bible, but through the senses, right? right. So sacraments and word always go together, right? Uh, the sacraments don't add to the word in the sense that they say something new or different. They repeat what the word says, but they apply it to our senses and to our hearts. And in fact, without the word, if there's no word, then the sacraments are useless, right? They're they're meaningless. In a way that the word by itself can still stand. Um, and so here's the illustration I would use. A handshake, right? When you, um, let's say you're, you, you sit down and you have a, an agreement with, your, with somebody and you work out. Let's say you're selling your car, right? So you say, you know, here's my used Camry. Will you buy it? Yes, I will buy it for $5,000. That sounds good. And after you do your agreement, what do you do? You shake hands, now, why do you shake hands? Well, some of you say, saying, well, that's just what we do. I, I don't even think about it, right? But the shaking of the hand seals and confirms the deal. Does that make sense? And the handshake repeats what you've already agreed upon verbally. Does that make sense? That's what the sacrament is. The sacrament is a handshake repeating, sealing, confirming what you've already agreed to. But what if you went up to somebody and there's a car next to you, no words are exchanged and you handshake. What does the handshake mean? It means nothing. I <laughs> David, um... I'll take the keys. <laughs> <laughs> it means nothing. It means nothing, okay? So, the sacraments without the word mean nothing. Right? And this, again, is a disagreement we have with the Roman Catholic Church. Because the Roman Catholic Church applies sacraments without the word, without the explanation or preaching of the word. And this is why in our denomination, in the PCA, only ordained ministers may administer the sacraments. Some of you may have noticed I'm the only one who um, administers the Lord's Supper. Why not Pastor Wade or why not Pastor Harry? That's because they're not ordained, meaning they're not authorized and confirmed by our denomination, by our presbytery as uh, Ministers—they haven't been examined in terms of their understanding of orthodoxy of scripture, of the sacraments, and therefore they're not authorized. Does that make sense? So this is this is the reason why. Any quick questions on this issue? All right, Ashley, thank you so much for watching <laughs> my kids. <laughs> All right, um, so if the word okay, so why am I crossing it out? That. Is not that helpful. All right, so sacraments, they always go together, and if they say the same thing, then are they redundant? And the answer is no, they're not redundant because they're signs and seals, right? And as signs, they speak to our senses, and as seals, they speak to our hearts. So that's the answer, okay? And so we need sacraments to build and strengthen our faith. Um, and here I have a graph, and I think this graph is very important. What then is the relationship between sacrament and word? And, and here we're going to get into a little bit of a logic puzzle. But <coughs> All right, so... Um, Okay. So what is the relationship between sacrament and word? Uh, Sacrament and grace, right? Um, So all these are people, everyone who has received grace. Okay. And this is everyone who receives sacraments. Another, what you can think of as everyone who's baptized, everyone who partakes of the Lord's Supper. Okay? So, um, can you be saved without baptism and Lord's Supper? And the answer is yes. Because the sacraments do not save you. What saves you? Christ saves you. Right? So, what this tells us is that there are people who have grace who know the grace of God who experience salvation in Christ but they don't partake of the sacraments in other words they're not baptized they don't partake of the Lord's Supper and so what this tells us is that it's not gospel plus sacraments Okay. now let's look at the other portion are there people who receive sacraments who are not saved are there people who are baptized who partake of the Lord's Supper and they're not saved the answer is yes because again, remember, sacraments without faith, without receiving, it's like sun beating down a blind eye. It's meaningless. It doesn't have any effect on you, right? So, let me be very careful. Okay. So, it's not that the sacraments... <laughs> this is like the best they've ever been behaved. If you can believe it. I'm amazed. It must be Ashley. <laughs> So it's not sacraments automatically confer grace. It's not the sacraments are the gospel, in other words. Does that make sense? Which is what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, by the way. So then, does it not matter, right? Oh, it doesn't matter whether you're baptized. It doesn't matter whether you partake of the supper, because you can be saved without the sacraments, and you can have the sacraments without being saved. And the answer is, it absolutely matters, because the sacraments... And this spot right here should properly accompany. Right? And so here I would put um, gospel and sacraments have a deep connection. All right? And by the way, this chart is misrepresentative, right? I always, I always draw it like this to exaggerate the effect, but if all these are people who take sacraments, and all these are people who are saved, it should be like this. Does that make sense? And <laughs> these are oddballs, not good, and these are, you know, wolves among, not wolves, but uh, goats among sheep, not good either, right? But let's look at Matthew 28. Um, where am I? Scott, can I have you read Matthew 28?
1: Uh, it says, Go so therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you.
0: Yes. Notice that uh, making disciples and being baptized are closely linked. One happens right after the other. So they're properly connected. This is the way it should be. And notice that Jesus doesn't make baptism optional, but he makes it an essential part of being a disciple. And so here's the analogy I would make, right? Can you be a good father by simply telling your children, I love you, without picking them or hugging them, kissing them? Yeah, I guess so, you know. You've told them you love them, but they benefit all the more when you hug them and kiss them and pick them up. So if you are your father's child and you don't partake of the sacraments, then you're like a child who's never picked up. Like a child who's never kissed. You're going to be a stunted child. You're going to be retarded in your development. You'll be like, oh, don't touch me. I, I, I've i never been hugged, you know? So, as a Christian, you should partake of the sacraments. And if you partake of the sacraments, you should, like, if you're a child and someone's hugging you, you should be like, what? Well, who are you? <laughs> right? You'll be like, do I, do I know you? And so it goes both ways. Does that make sense? So if you're partaking of the sacraments, you should think, am I really a believer? And if you're, really, if you're a believer, you should, you should partake of the sacraments. Um, and so scripture assumes this is called a normative view. Normative means this is the way things should be, right? So I don't have this uh, passage printed out in your passage. But every time in Acts, when you see someone converted, they're immediately baptized. So let me just give you the example of the Philippian jailer, right? Let me read it to you. It's not in your handout. Um, This is the story in Acts 16. Paul um, uh, preaches the gospel to the Philippian jailer. And then he, the jailer, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, this is Paul and Silas, said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night. And washed their wounds. This is the Philippian jailer, right? And he was baptized at once, he and his family, right? This happens again and again and again. In Acts, you will never find someone who believes the gospel who is not then subsequently baptized. And in fact, the baptism and the, the faith are almost instantaneous. They almost happen boom, boom. Just like the Philippian jailer, right? Or like the Ethiopian eunuch. He hears the gospel from uh, uh, Philip, the evangelist. And he says, can I be baptized right now? The answer is yes. So in that sense, a long delay in baptism and coming to faith as a Christian is not good for you. Right? Because, again, you're missing out on the sign and you're missing out on the seal. Any questions on that point? All right. Um, this link, so this is the link, right? It's a tight link. It's so tight that you can speak one of the other. Okay? Um, So in theology, we call this sacramental union. Um, Baptism is so closely connected. So baptism is so closely connected to salvation that... Peter actually says baptism saves you, right? So, look with me to First Peter chapter three twenty one. Where are we, <laughs> Dave? Can you read that for for me?
1: First um, Peter three twenty one. Baptism, which um, corresponds to this, now saves you not as a, uh, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, so listen carefully to what Peter says. Right, baptism now saves you. What, ba- Peter says, baptism saves you. Now, should we interrupt Peter, the Apostle Peter, and say, excuse me, Peter, um, are you sure uh, that baptism itself, the act, the rite, the ritual, does it save you? And, of course, you would say no, because it's what baptism signifies and seals that saves you, which is salvation in Christ. But because they're so connected, he can use one for the other. This is um, who in the, who's who's really good in English? Ah, Grace is here. <laughs> I won't put her on the spot. Who knows what a metonym is? Huh? Metonymy, yeah. <clears throat> metonym. I had to look this up, so don't feel bad. Uh, that you,
1: like one part of something.
0: Yeah, it's very close. That would be a synecdoche, right? So when you say, nice set of wheels, you're not just talking about people's tires, you're talking about the whole thing, the car, right? And uh, uh, metonym is very close. It means you use, uh, you, you refer to one thing, but you're referring to something else. One for the other, right? So when you go to somebody and you say, um, you know, let's say they're, they're really struggling with some math problem. And you say, can I give you a hat? Do you mean, here's my hand, right, there you go. You, you're, you're talking about, can I help you? Can I help you figure it out, right? Can I work out the math problem with you? So this is a metonym, right? The sacraments, you could say, like, so somebody could ask you, are you saved? And you, maybe you're, if you want to be a smart Alec, can say, yes, I've been baptized. And someone will say, no, 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 no. Are you saved? And you can say, yes, I've been baptized. Because one can refer to the other in scriptural language. And I think this is very, very helpful and maybe challenging for a lot of us because we tend to separate the two, baptism and salvation, right? These things are disconnected to some degree, but they're not and they shouldn't be, right? They're one for the other. Does that make sense? Um, And so... I have it here written down. It should be in your bullet in your ha- handout as well. So the sign and the thing signified are distinguished without being separate. What does that mean, right? So this is some sort of legal logic statement here. What this means is that we can distinguish one from the other, right? We could distinguish the grace and the sacraments, but only theoretically. Does that make sense? But in Scripture, they're never separate. They're always together. So in practice they're always connected, which is why Peter could say baptism saves you. But theoretically they're separate. So this this these these parts. This is theoretical, like we can conceive of it in our mind, but this is what it should always be. Does that make sense? So how do you know how do we know that Mike is saved? Do we peer into his heart? Do we look? Do you really believe? We can look at his visible sign. He has a badge that says, my father loves me, I'm rescued. What's that badge? It's his baptism. Does that make sense? Any questions or any comments to help us wrap our minds? Yes. Uh, like
1: sacraments through the senses. Um, the, the way that I arrived at in understanding sacraments was was um, this idea that uh, we have bodies to go with our spirits and our minds. Yes and our, our bodies need patterns, they need things that are ongoing. We need Says, I love you, and he hugs you. And you need to feel that. Yes. Or it's better for you to feel that. Yes. The way I, what I hear is that, um, the, the concept of you, normatively speaking, we have minds, we have hearts, but we also have bodies. And yes. All of that needs to be ministered. To yes, you. I agree. So we're not just
0: brains in this blobbly bag of flesh, where we can just have like terminals. Just text each other, right? That's not how we communicate. We have bodies. So we hug each other, we interact with each other, and that communicates in a very deep way. So what I'm trying to say is stop texting. <laughs> Talk to each other. Um, so God is not just texting us, you know, I love you. The incarnation yes. He came in the, he came in the flesh. And he gives us fleshly seals and signs to help us to remember, to know, to feel, to experience God's love for us. And he refers to us as his body. That's right, yes. So it's all tactile, it's all physical, it's all connected. Because our future is not an ethereal, bodiless existence. It's new bodies, new creation, right? So let me go on. Um, Final point. Or final two points: sacraments are signs and seals of our union with Christ. Okay. So, what is union? This is very important. What? What is it? (laughs) I've never seen the kids survive for like almost an hour like this. This is a did you drug them? (laughs) Okay. So, um, what is what is union? Okay, so. The sacraments are signs and seals of union. And um, this is very, very important because this is how we are saved, is by being united to Christ. And let me just give you a couple of analogies. Um, Marriage, right? This is a metaphor that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 5, right? What happens in marriage? Everything that is mine is yours. Everything that is yours is mine. And so we are married to Christ. We are betrothed to Christ. We're actually married to Christ in uh, in the gospel, in our salvation. So that everything that is His—His His righteousness, His merits, His place with the Father—is now ours, right? And then all of our sin and all of our guilt and um, and uh, the death we deserve is becomes His. Another one is the vine. The vine imagery, which Jesus gives us in John. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, right? If you're a branch, you're connected to the the central vine. You receive nourishment. What is that called? Sap, right? You receive life Mm -hmm. from the vine. And because you receive life from the vine, you can bear fruit, right? So you're vitally connected. And so so, uh, the sacraments speak to our union. So, for example, in baptism, right, we are united to his death and resurrection. We're going to talk about this next week, but Romans 6 is a very important passage where Paul talks about how in baptism we have been united to his death, right? We're going to talk about this later, but the waters of baptism um, have two symbolic meanings. Number one, they cleanse you, and then number two, they represent death. Water represents death. It doesn't seem like that to us, but in the ancient world, water was death, right? Because you go out into the water, there's a good maybe 10% chance you will die because there are storms and boats were not that seaworthy by comparison. So water is death. So it's an interesting imagery that when you become a Christian, water is put on you, right? You receive water, which is a sign of death. So you are dying with Christ on the cross, which is what Paul says, and you resurrect with him, right? So all of his benefits come to us and then also in the supper we partake of his body and blood right so this is interesting right here's the other sacrament that god gives us he says eat consume ingest food bread and wine right why should we ingest the ingestion the eating is a sign of our being united to him because it goes into us right that's the biblical language right We are, Christ is in us. Did you know it happens literally? (laughs) Right? It comes in us. And so we'll talk about that in the fourth and final class much more. His broken body, his shed blood comes in us. Finally, last point. So we have two sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. Baptism is an initiatory rite, meaning it's the ritual in which we enter into the Christian life. We're washed with the blood of Christ. And then supper is the fellowship right in which we're nourished and sustained by communion with Christ and uh, um, um, if I can just give you a very uncomfortable metaphor right Um, if we think of baptism as the wedding ceremony what is the supper the supper is sex right um because every time you have sex with your spouse, you experience the oneness, the love, the fellowship, the intimacy with your spouse. I thought you guys were going to cringe much harder. but. <laughs> um, so, how often do you have the wedding ceremony? Once. Once! You don't need to do it again. I mean, you could do it again, I suppose, for kicks, but... <laughs> but only once and only once is the one that really counts right and then how often should you have sex A lot. once <laughs> that's right once no <laughs> wow. you should have it lots and lots right because every time you have sex you guys are all single except Tommy so all you should be blushing every time you have sex you experience the deeper the deep, the deeper connection the deeper coupledness deep, you go deeper into your marriage does that make sense Whatever you did on your wedding day, yeah. that was just day one. That's kindergarten. Sex is grad school, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what the supper is. Now that I've ruined the supper for you. <laughs> but, the supper is what you experienced in your baptism. You're going deeper and deeper in your salvation relationship with Christ. Yeah. Right, Or to give you a much more benign metaphor, it's the father picking you up, hugging you, kissing you, telling you that he loves you, he's so happy with you, he's so delighted with you as his son, as his daughter. Okay, And therefore, baptism only happens once, and the supper is, happens regularly all the time. And um, I think uh, it, it corresponds to parts of salvation. Baptism corresponds to justification. Supper corresponds to what? sanctification, right? <laughs> um baptism, are we active or passive in baptism? Pa- pa- passive. passive. Are we active or passive in the supper? Both. Yeah, well yeah. Both, but for now let's just say active, right? Why is that significant? Somewhat, yes. We'll talk about that with Lord's um with the infant baptism two class from now. Why why is this significant baptism is passive? Right? Because you're what happens in baptism? Are you like <laughs> right? Is it like if I were if I were to invent it, maybe I would be like, alright, here's 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 the initiatory ritual. Here's a board. And you have to punch through it. You're saved now. That's the sign of your salvation, right? Why isn't it that? Why is it you're standing? Or for our Baptist friends, you're being plunged, right? But you're still still just inert.
1: Does it resemble... I don't know, for me, it resembles like dialogue back and forth. Okay. Is that part
0: of it? Keep going. Um, You can't just throw like one word. Is it like dialogue? You have to... more more. Well, if
1: I'm talking to my friend David, right? Yeah. Like, I listen before I talk. Mm.
0: Like...
1: He's asking me for Ooh, baptism. that's good. Yes, I do like that. Yes.
0: So you're saying in baptism we listen. Right. God's talking.
1: Right. Like, you're part of me. I love you. Right. Yes. Yes. And then the responsibility. I love you too.
0: Yes. This is very good. But I'm thinking along the same line. Something else. Let me do another analogy, okay? In our salvation, we're adopted, right? When you're adopted, do you do anything? I suppose you might, as a kid, look as adorable as possible. You might, you know, smile. But that's not how the gospel works. You're actually this sinful, dirty creature, rebel. Another proper metaphor is you're like a whore. You're just running after other things. So, our adoption, you're passive. You're not doing anything. And that speaks to the grace of the gospel. Baptism, you're not doing baptism to God. God is baptizing you. Does that make sense? This is very important. A lot of people think baptism is a a flag. God, I believe you. No. You receive it by faith, of course. Without faith, it's meaningless. But it's being done to you. God says, I've cleansed you. Your mind, you're united to Christ's death and resurrection, and so you're adopted. That that doesn't like. Let's say you're an infant, you're adopted. You you don't know, I mean, you didn't do anything. But then you have the family meal every Sunday, or maybe every week, every night. You sit down and you eat with your dad. And your dad says, how, "How was your day, son?" And you say, "Well, I I I met somebody. Oh, let's talk." And I don't know why that's my representative <laughs> representation. <laughs> Does that make sense? So in the meal, you're engaging. You're connecting. You're having this deep relationship. Uh, sanctification is active on your part. You're doing something. You're growing. So you eat. You drink. Which is why, by the way, the supper is improperly applied to infants or children. It should not be. Because they're, they're inert. You need faith for... Supper, you don't need faith for baptism. We'll talk about that later. Any questions on this whole class? Anything else? Yes. So, like,
1: um, when the church was really young, you know, starting out, they would have actual meals, right? Yes. But if we had a meal and, like, someone who wasn't part of the church came, we wouldn't exclude them, right? Like, oh, you can't eat with us. This. this food is only for wow. us. We'll
0: talk about it in the, Lord, the, the, the Lord's Supper class, okay. in the fourth class. But the Lord's Supper is a family meal. So if you're sitting down with your family, Ezra, and somebody came along and said, can I eat with you guys? You'd be like, who are you? You have to be family to eat the meal. So how do you become family? You have to tell them, we're going to have to go through an adoption process. You need to be a son and daughter of my father to eat this meal. Does that make sense?
1: Was that was that like in the olden days, was that kind of how it worked? Like it was, like when they had a family meal, it was very intimate and just family only. It wasn't more of like, oh yeah, come on in, friends.
0: Um, was that when like you eat a meal, to- you don't eat a meal with anybody. Like it's not at work where you just sit down in the cafeteria and there's like all these random people you don't know. You never did that a meal was almost like an alliance it was like a deep friendship it's a kinship it, it means you you and I were bond, were bound together right that's why everyone was outraged when Jesus would eat with tax collectors why would you do that they're traitors they're sinners did you even know who you're fellowshipping and, and bonding with right so um, so the family analogy can be broadened right but you always eat with your friends. You don't eat with non-friends. Does that make sense? So, the, the Lord's Supper is a church meal in, in which it's not open. It's not an open table. Um, because the meal itself, there's a vertical dimension, there's a horizontal dimension. The horizontal dimension, the meal represents community, church community. And so this is why the, you cannot partake of the supper without baptism. Because baptism is how you come into the family. It's the adoption ritual. And then once you're a child of the father, then you can sit at his table and eat of his, and fellowship with the father. Does that make sense? David, David's nodding. I've gotten through to David. <laughs> and I don't know, does that answer your question? Okay. Any other questions? All right, so let me pitch the other three classes. This one was relatively dry, right? (laughs) It was relatively conceptual, because I had to frame, I had to, I was trying to set things up, but I hope the next classes will be more interesting. I just, I shouldn't do that. This class was amazing, right? It was fascinating. (laughs) But uh, next week, we'll talk about baptism. The week after that, we'll talk about infant baptism. We'll spend a whole class on that, because it's a special case, uh, special arguments required. And then we'll talk about the Lord's Supper, and... All three, I think, will be very interesting. Let me pray for us, and then we will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't just tell us you love us, but you pick us up, you seal your love to us through baptism, through the supper. So, Lord, um, we pray that we would take advantage, we would partake, uh, we would receive it with faith, not as this empty ritual that we just sort of go through the motions, Um, but that it would speak powerfully to our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.